Hey there, good morning. My name is Roy and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We are so glad that you've chosen to tune in today to hear today part five of our series, Summer Hymns. Well, Holy, Holy, Holy was written by Reginald Heber. Heber was born in 1783 in a wealthy, educated uh, family in England. By the age of seven, he was translating Latin classics, classics into English. And by the age of 17, he'd enrolled at Oxford and won two awards for his poetry. After university, Heber became the rector of his father's church in England, where he remained there for the next 16 years. Now, during his time there, he longed to improve the singing of this small congregation. So he spent a lot of his time writing the lyrics to new hymns. In all, he would write 57 different hymns. Many said that his favorite phrase was, only thou art holy. That is something that would be a common theme throughout his writings. Heber was inspired one day to write a, a list of hymns around the church calendar. And so for Trinity Sunday, he wrote, Holy, 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 to, our, to accentuate the holiness of God in three persons. However, this was not the birth of the song as we know it. In fact, the song would remain among his various writings right up until his death at the age of 43. It was then that his widow, going through a lot of his old papers and songs, came across this stash of hymns where she discovered, Holy, Holy, Holy. It would still be 30 years later that that song would then land in the hands of a publisher that asked a man named John Backus Dykes to compose music to go with it. It said the dykes would create something in 30 minutes that we now know as the tune to Holy, Holy, Holy. But like I said before, we're in part five of our series, Summer Hymns. Many of you are familiar with this song, Holy, Holy, Holy. But it's, it's that word that sometimes we have this confused relationship with. Holy. Because when you think of holy people, you know that that's something... That's something noble. It sounds like something we really should strive for. But let's face it. You know people that seem pretty holy? They're not a lot of fun to be around. They seem very serious. And, and you're not sure if they would know a fun time if it hit them in the side of the head. Or maybe you grew up in the church and you've heard something said to the extent of God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Like, as soon as you're having a good time and laughing, God is just watching with a scowl. And maybe that made sense to you because the holy people didn't look that happy either. I mean, church is serious stuff, right? Straight face, head down. So at some point in your mind, you've come to this crossroads. Either I live a life that's holy, or I live a life that's happy. And you kind of gave up on holiness because you wanted a life that was happy. And in fact, if you ask any parent, what do you want for your kids? A lot of times the answer comes back, well, I just want them to be happy, which seems like a valid answer. French philosopher Blaise Pascal once said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different mean, means they employ, they all tend to this end. I mean, we want to be happy. I mean, there's just something in us wants to be happy. But hopefully, by the time we're done our teaching today, my hope is that you will see that these two terms, happiness and holiness, are not mutually exclusive. 
That happiness and holiness are not opposites. They're actually tied to one another. You don't need to choose one over the other. In fact, to experience happiness, you need holiness. Why do I think that? Well, it's not really a personal opinion, although it's something that I've seen play out over and over. I think, I think that because Jesus said it. Jesus says he knows more about happiness than anyone else. God doesn't want you to be unhappy. He created your capacity for joy and happiness. He wants you to discover a genuine happiness, however, that comes in relationship with him, rather than a false happiness that is temperamental and temporary. So today we're going to be looking at some of Jesus' most famous words. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And even if you're not a churchgoer or a religious person, or you've never been in church that long, you've likely heard some of these teachings, maybe even elsewhere. And we're going to focus on a section of the text called the Beatitudes, where much of Jesus' teaching begins with this phrase, blessed are. Or we often say blessed are. I don't know why sometimes it's blessed, sometimes it's blessed. Don't ask me. But as far as this, the list goes, Jesus says, he, looks at the, he lists out all these, these eight Beatitudes, and he essentially answers the question, here's what makes you happy. Here's what makes you happy. If you want to be happy, here's what makes you happy. Now, this word blessed in Greek is makarios. Makarios, the closest English word we have, is happy. In fact, maybe your translation of your Bible doesn't even say blessed or blessed are. It says happy are. So Jesus gives this message and he says, this is how happy people live. This is what happy people do. If you want to live a life that is happy, here's the formula. Now, even if you don't consider yourself a church person, a religious person, you would be wise to listen and consider Jesus' words in this topic. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be looking. It says in verse 1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, it's important to point out, often when we refer to disciples in church circles, we often think of the twelve, the chosen twelve, Matthew, Peter, John, etc. But there were three groups that would generally follow Jesus around. And technically, the twelve chosen ones that we're talking about were actually the apostles. We, we called them the apostles. The disciples were the others that followed Jesus. There was a, a larger group that had put their faith in Jesus. They had watched, they had listened, and, and, they, and they followed him around, and, and they would travel with him. And then the third group was the curious, the crowds. Crowds would show up, sometimes in the hundreds or the, in the thousands, to hear what he would say, to see what he would do. And they, they were curious. Sometimes the Pharisees were in this group where they were watching just to see if they could trip him up. So Jesus has got all three groups around him, the apostles, the disciples, and the crowd, or the, the curious. And he goes up on a mountainside and he begins to teach. And he chooses to teach this word makarios, or happiness. In verse 3, it says, Blessed, or blessed, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So right off the bat, Jesus addresses a misconception, a, miscon a misconception that we still wrestle with today. They believed, and we do too, that happiness is tied to your level of wealth. Now, on the outside, we know this isn't true. We say things like, money doesn't buy happiness, but we also think inside, but I sure would like to try. 
But we know rich people that are miserable, just like we know poor people that are happy. And so Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, poor in spirit are those people that recognize their dependence on God. No matter how much they have or how little they have, they recognize, I need you, God. I depend on you. They wake up every day recognizing their need for God, and it's not tied to what they have or what they don't. Poor in spirit live every day like they are dependent on God. Because the second that you put your faith in what you have over the God that gives and takes away, you trade in your long-term happiness. And Jesus knew this. This is why you've met unhappy poor people, unhappy middle-class people, and unhappy rich people. Because as soon as you put your trust and your faith in yourself, and your things, and your ability to, to provide those things, and not the God who created you, you take on a responsibility that is too heavy for you to carry. And Jesus says, let me tell you who the happy people are. And it's not tied to how much they have. It's those that are poor in spirit. They recognize that no matter how much I have or how much I don't, I am dependent on God. It doesn't change. My happiness is not tied to my stuff. That's why I can be happy with a lot. And if everything's taken away from me tomorrow, that's why I can be happy with little. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you know who mourns? People that are invested emotionally into the lives of others. When you're emotionally invested in someone's life and they pass away, hurts. I mean, there's a, there's a period of mourning. Now, the alternative to that, that is to avoid pain completely by not getting too close to anyone ever again and, and turn off your feelings. But those that invest relationally heavily are willing to face, go face to face with life and love and recognize that there's also death and there's mourning that follows. And this is part of life. They embrace this fully. You see, our culture treats death so much different than other cultures and other time periods. In, our, in, our, in today's day and age, death is so sanitized. Because for some of us, when someone passes, we don't take the time to mourn or give it the proper space. Uh, we find out what time the funeral is. We, we quickly decide if we have something to wear. We show up. We sit at the back. Make sure that someone sees us, that we were there, that we, we, we paid our respects. And then I want to get, get out of there. I want to go back to my own life. I want, I want to just kind of forget about it. And Jesus says, if you're afraid of death, if, if you don't want to enter into relationship enough that you mourn the loss, you will not know true happiness. Fear of death will rob you of the joy of life. If you live your life not getting too close to people because you don't want to experience the sting of loss, you will never be fully happy in the way that God intended. Those that understand that this life is temporary, that birth and life and death is part of the deal, that there's, and they realize that this is just this life that we have is merely the gateway to something more, it allows you to fully enter in and embrace this life and the relationships in your life. Instead of pretending that death won't happen to you or those around you. And Jesus continues. He says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. 
Now, this is a tough one because it probably has to do with this relationship we have with this word meek. It always, almost always sounds negative. And, and it's got this stigma to it. And so we, we, see, we, we see meekness as weakness. And, and no one, I don't think anyone grows up saying, well, I, you know, I'm hoping one day I'll be a little more meek. I'm hoping that, that one thing I'm working on is my meekness. But Jesus understands meekness as something different. Meekness is when you understand your place and your value in this world, world, and you understand your spot in the overarching will of God and what the work that he's doing in this world, and, you, and you're confident about who you are and who you are in him. A meek person understands that God's up to something in this world, and they're not the center of, of God's plan, but they, God allows them to play an important role in that plan. Meekness understands their proper place in his creation. And Jesus says, do you want to be happy? Embrace meekness. Then verse 6, Jesus says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In other words, blessed are those that strive to do the right thing at all times, even when there's a cost associated with it. You know this. When you're living in a place where you have no guilt and no regret and your conscience is clear, you just live lighter. You're not looking over your shoulder. You're not, you're not feeling guilty. You just feel light. You feel free. And Jesus says that happiness follows not just those that do the right thing, but those that hunger and thirst to do the right thing, which isn't always the easy thing to do. But if you will strive to do the right things, you will be happy. You, you know this. In, in those times where you did the wrong thing, sure, maybe you benefited temporarily. Maybe there was short-term pleasure that followed. But your regrets and the damage in your past wasn't because you did the right things. It was always when you did what was wrong. The biggest regret that you have was when you did, you knew something, what the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do was. And you chose to do the wrong thing anyway. And Jesus says, I, I know this sounds kind of religious, but it doesn't make it less true. Happy are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then verse 7, he continues. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And he basically says this. Happy are those that are merciful in their relationships. Happy there are those that are generous when it comes to the relationships. Happy or blessed are those that, that don't give people what they deserve. Happy are those that forgive when they've been wronged. Happy are those that don't consume their energy and thought, their thought life with revenge. Happy are those that push away bitterness. Happy are those that don't hold grudges. Come on. You know this. You know you've never met a happy, bitter person. You've never met a happy grudge holder. What you have met is people that have every right to be angry and bitter. And if you heard their story, you would agree. They are the victim in this story. But somehow they're not bitter. Somehow they're not waiting for the moment where they get to, be, they get, to get even with that person. And they seem genuinely happy. Because they've discovered something. They've discovered relational mercy. 
And they've chosen not to allow any more time or energy or years to be eaten up by bitterness. And so they forgive and they release and they show mercy. And they've decided to show mercy to their ex, even when they didn't deserve it. They've decided to show mercy to their boss when they didn't deserve it. They decided to show mercy to their father or their mother, despite what they have done, even when they didn't deserve it. And even though they never will ever get an apology, even though they will never get revenge, even though the person never owns up to their part in the situation, Jesus knew bitterness traps. The merciful will be happy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Then Jesus says this one. He basically says, Would you like to see God? Would you like to see life so clear that you see God at work even when it doesn't make sense? Would you like to see clearly God's will for your life? Would you like to see clearly the pitfalls and traps in your life before they come? Would you like to have that kind of clarity to which you and I would answer, yeah, of course. And so in verse 8 he says, blessed or blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a big one. This one's huge. And what Jesus is saying here is purity leads to clarity. Purity leads to clarity. Let me explain. This word purity is not a word that we use anymore unless really we're talking about water. I mean, we want our water to be pure. Pure water is always clear. I can see right through it. If you will commit to moral purity, if you'll decide that I'm going to fill my mind, I'm going to fill my heart, I'm going to fill my life with the right things, things that are good for me, things that are beneficial, things that are honoring to God, if you'll commit to moral purity, you will have clarity when it comes to the life that God wants for you. It's when you start mixing impure things into your life, like the things where it's like everyone else is doing it, so I don't want to be the one to miss out. Those things start to cloud your mind. They cloud your judgment. Purity leads to clarity, and clarity allows you to see God's best for you, to see God's plan for your life. And Jesus goes on, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Why? Because your God is actively looking to be a peacemaker and make peace with you. And so when you actively look to be a peacemaker with others and not a troublemaker, you are like your Father in heaven. Peacemakers are happy. Do you know any happy troublemakers? I mean, think about the people around you that are always stirring up gossip always looking to divide, always are looking to cause trouble and it brings them joy. Do they seem happy? Not truly. You know why? Because troublemakers are bothered by other people's happiness. Happy people are often the main targets for troublemakers. They don't want you to be happy. They want everyone around them to be unhappy like them. And Jesus says, happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the fixers. Happy are the ones that can lay down their wants and their pride in favor of making peace and harmony. I mean, isn't that true? When there's a fire, happy people don't throw more gas on it. 
Happy people extinguish the flame. They don't enjoy drama. They don't enjoy division. It brings them no joy whatsoever. And then Jesus finishes with this one in verse 10. He says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which may be the the toughest one to swallow. Happiness and persecution, they don't seem like they go together. I mean, I can see how the other ones can bring happiness or blessing if I, if I follow along. But persecution, like when I do all the right things and then people still turn on me anyway, when I lose a promotion at work or, or when my reputation takes a hit and it's not my fault or, or I lose friends for doing the right things, happy are the persecuted? But here's what Jesus is getting at. You're going to suffer in this life. It's just... The natural order. It's going to happen. You are going to, you're going to experience suffering at some point. And sometimes it's for doing the right thing. And sometimes it's for doing the wrong thing. You can only suffer and still be happy by doing one of them. You can be happy for getting some slack for doing the right thing. You know why? Because when you put your head on your pillow at night and you know what you did was the right thing, it's right with you. And it's right with God. You can be happy. But when you suffer for doing the wrong thing, when when you face the consequences because you made a bad decision, you don't have peace with you. And you don't have peace with God. And Jesus says you have two choices. You can be mistreated for doing the right thing or you can be mistreated for doing the wrong thing. But only one can bring happiness and blessing. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And so Jesus says, these eight things, this is what a happy life looks like. It may not be what the rest of the world would define as, a, as being happy, because your average person, when you say, what, what does a happy life look like? They might say, well, a happy person has no money issues, and a happy person has a big house, and their family's all around them, and, and, and great vacations, and, and fast cars, and all, everything that, that you imagine. These are the things that a happy life brings. But Jesus lays out this formula for a truly happy life, and it doesn't involve any of those things. You see, I used to read the Beatitudes, and I used to think that there was a different Beatitude with a different reward for each person. And you would try to go through the list of the eight and see where, which one am I and which reward do I get. But it's bigger than that. Jesus says, do you want to live a happy life? Strive for all eight. Aim for a holy life. It's not happy or holy. It's happy because of holy. You should strive, even if you're deficient in one of these, or two or three or four of these areas, you should strive to be better at each of these eight things. And it's not too late to start. No matter what your life has looked like up to now, you can start where you are now. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, I can choose to put my trust in God and recognize my dependence on him, even if I haven't in the past. Stop looking to myself and my stuff for my self-worth. God, let me be poorer in spirit and let me gain the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, the poor, are those that mourn. I mean, I don't need to be afraid of death. 
I can invest heavier into my relationships. I can be more present in my relationships. When I understand the reward is deeper relationship and comfort from seeing this life for what it is. Blessed are the meek. I can stand to be more meek. See, when I humbly understand that God loves me, has a plan for me, and I can see where I stand, what my value is, my reward is knowing I have purpose here on this earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me chase after doing what is right. Let the reward of a clear conscience and a lack of regret follow. Blessed are the merciful. God, allow me not to hold on to bitterness. And let me show mercy to those that don't deserve it, because I don't deserve the mercy I've received, but my reward is mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. God, let me pursue good things. Allow my thoughts, allow my heart to chase purity. Because when I do, clarity for what you want for me will follow. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let people see me as refreshing, a problem solver, compassionate, Someone that people can be real with, that speaks life into their situations. Let me, let me be known as a true child of God. And again, this is the toughest. Blessed are the persecuted. But I know that I need to make decisions at times that are going to upset one side or the other. So let me suffer for doing the right thing. Let me be able to be at peace with my words and my actions because I know that they honor God. As a result, the kingdom of heaven will be mine. The words of the song were, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We know God is holy. But we now understand that all eight of these things is something that we should pursue if we desire blessing and happiness to follow our lives. You see, it's not holiness or happiness. It's happiness because of holiness. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read through the Beatitudes that we read about in Matthew's Gospel, Lord, we may have uh, confused this, this goal for our lives of happiness with the wrong things. We may have put our stock in, in the wrong things when it comes to producing happiness when, in fact, these are, there are eight things that Jesus clearly laid out for us that if we would strive to have those as part of our character, happiness naturally follows. And so, God, when we do this, it benefits not just us, but it benefits the people that we are around and that we are in contact with and the ones in which we love. And so, God, let us strive for these, these eight things. And as a result, God, whether we have much or, we, or whether we have little, we'll be able to say that we are blessed and we are happy. Amen.